1: what's up family uh and i have been seriously anticipating this interview right off the bat uh war room boots on the ground segment uh we are in norman oklahoma uh joe salant interviewing toby Harmon, who has been boots on the ground you know, for as long as I've known this guy, just an absolute honor uh, to be with this man of God, who is always—it seems—always on the front line, actually doing the work of reconstructing the society according to the law of God. Uh, when it comes to abolishing the practice of child sacrifice, and so if y'all don't know uh, what. Christian reconstruction is, and we're talking to a reconstructionist audience, but what Christian reconstruction is, it's not just a bunch of ideas that we have in our head. Uh, If those ideas are right, if we're thinking rightly in terms of our theology, and if we have our philosophy correct, and if we have our doctrine correct, and all that other kind of stuff, yet we don't do What we know to be true, a gospel that's full-orbed in every area of life, cutting down the idols of the age, this idol of humanism that receives the sacrifice of one image-bearer of God every 30 seconds in the land of the not-free and in the home of the slaves, then basically we're no better than the pietists. As a matter of fact, as Toby probably is going to get on y'all about, we're probably worse because we know better and we're not doing it. Christian reconstruction is about boots on the ground so i am so pumped up about this interview once again war room boots on the ground joe salant uh your new host i am here in Norman, oklahoma uh from the bunker with my man toby Harmon, abolitionist toby Harmon. gonna talk to y'all about a very practical and tactical topic because y'all know the war room is about strategic topics for christian living we're not all pie in the sky and everything like that we're like how are we going to get this done for king jesus Toby, it is an absolute honor uh, to be rocking with you today. Thank you you for your time. Thank you for stepping into the War Room.
2: Glad you came down. Honored to be on here with you and talk about... The little that I know about anything. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, you know, there's the humility of a servant. But um, what we're what we're going to talk about is a very practical topic. It is uh, dealing with lawlessness enforcement, humanistic lawlessness enfor- enforcement, aka the police outside of the murder mills and anywhere else where abolitionism is practiced. And the thing with this is, look, at the end of the day, um, as Reconstructionists, we know that police is nowhere authorized in the law of God. You cannot have an executive army enforcing the will of the pagan state and defending lawlessness in a culture that's reconstructed on the law of God. But these police officers take upon themselves uh, the title of magistrates. And, and so they are functioning in the role of a magistrate in our society. And when we do the work of abolition and when we go out uh, to the places uh, where uh, child sacrifice has taken place, and that's not only in the murder mills, by the way, and when we go out to the places where the rising generation is being influenced by this idol of secular humanism, We often encounter as abolitionists, uh, and we should as Christian reconstructionists, reconstructing the society based on the law of God, the resistance of the pagan state in the form of police. And Toby has some incredible videos uh, on Facebook. I've shared them from my personal page, Joe Salant Facebook. We've also shared them from the War Room. Make sure that we're going to also make sure that they're shared from the uh, Reconstructionist Radio uh, main page about encounters where Toby's actually out there in front of this murder, in front of the murder mill, dealing one-on-one with an agent of the Pagan State. And in one of these cases, the officer actually uh, has volunteered his time uh, to be there, has paid money to be there on his off time, and how, as an abolitionist. We are supposed to, the practical and tactical things that we do uh, when we run into humanistic lawlessness enforcement out in the field. And abolitionism at the end of the day is delivering man from the dominion of man. But Toby, as one of the really, you, you're at the ground floor of the revival. And I look at abolitionism, you know, as a move of God. It's not a move of man, because if it's a move of man, then it's going to fail. What are we doing? Delivering man from the dominion of man. Why don't y'all give, give our audience the definition uh, that you have for abolitionism? What is abolitionism? Is it is it? Yeah. I mean, abolitionism
2: is bringing true, vital, living, and consistent Christianity into conflict with all of those ideas and institutions and individuals that are um, accepted in our culture contrary to the law of God. Um, It's bringing the law of God into conflict with unjust laws of men. Um, In this specific case of the revitalized abolitionist movement here in our nation, um, we're bringing that into conflict with the unjust practice and legalized institution of abortion. Um, and it's not it's not viewing those ideas or those institutions from a worldly perspective. Um, for instance, the pro-life movement looks at abortion, the institution of abortion and tries to deal with it um, from a worldly perspective. So they talk about it like the world does. They fight it like the world would fight it. Um, and basically what we see them doing is regulating it as health care. They may give it lip service as murder or sin, but the way they fight it is not consistent, biblically consistent. And so abolitionists look and say, okay, if abortion is the sin of murder, how ought we to combat this evil? How mm. ought we um combat this evil institution? Um, and so the way we do that is we treat it like sin. We call for repentance. We call for total repentance. We call for immediate repentance, and we seek to abolish that law and replace it with a law that's reflective of the law of God. Um, And so we don't shy away from our Christianity. We don't shy away from making it an overtly Christian um, opposition to this evil. Sure. Um, And so we would want not only the law of God instituted in regard to whether abortion is evil and should be illegal, but as well as the punishment for murder should be based upon the law of God uh we also realize that um this fight is waged um in the hearts and the minds of men in our culture and that it's it's primarily a sin issue and it needs to be primarily dealt with with the gospel sure. and so it's not about you know it's it's not about pragma- pragmatic tactics and pragmatic results um a, a lot of times we like to to say We don't start with the question of how can we save the babies? Because if you start with that question, you may think of all kinds of worldly and pragmatic ways to save lives on a day-to-day basis, on a week-to-week basis, on a year-to-year basis. But we start with the question of what does it look like to apply Christianity or to be a Christian in a culture that murders babies? Mm. And that's primarily by bringing the law of God and the gospel of God into conflict with the institution of abortion or any other godless institution that's been culturally accepted, um, and either, you know, brought into law or just accepted
1: broadly by the culture come against the law of God. So come on, come on. And Toby Harmon is also one of my favorite preachers. I mean, when you go, I, I was out there doing a project Frontlines. Uh, at at one of these uh, humanistic indoctrination zones. And what we do in Project Frontlines is we go and we take and we bring uh, the idea of uh, of the gospel in all areas of life, uh, the ideas of abolitionism, we use the issue of uh, or the epidemic, uh, the sin epidemic, the national sin, the uh, evil of our age, of child sacrifice, the abortion genocide, uh as a inroad to the gospel on the front lawns of these uh of these high schools so called these humanistic indoctrination centers for the rising generation. And uh we had it was just a it was just uh, our little abolitionist society out there in North Texas um at one of these indoctrination zones and um uh the the look it only takes a couple abolitionists going out Uh, and operating on the law of God and standing on the law of God, where they're not expecting you. Like they're always expecting you kind of like at the murder mills. Right. Right. You know, but when you go out to like the, the high schools and the town squares and the places like this, it's kind of different. Like things get turned on their head very quickly. And so the news came out. And uh, so the next day we had uh, Toby and uh, Ted uh, come down from Norman and it was super powerful. I remember, and uh, I'll try to link to this live video Um, on the uh, on this feed later on. But I remember um, standing with Toby on the sidewalk and I've heard him preach, you know, on on the Internet and things like that. But as we got out there to set up uh, our signs and everything like that out here in this high school um, and the counter protesters were coming out and setting up their signs, uh, one of the counter protesters was across the street and it was just her. And Toby was about 15 minutes i mean fifteen fifteen feet away from this uh, uh this counter protester and he starts just it it was just like the spirit of God just just fell and he starts giving her the law and giving her the gospel and applying it directly to the to the uh issue to 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 abortion to the same issue of abortion and it was just i mean like I had to stop what I was doing and just get my feet and just put it over by toby who was super powerful this man is a preacher out there of the gospel we're not single issue individuals uh going out there talking about a single issue what we're doing is we're out there applying the gospel the acts of the gospel against evil in every single area of life and so uh Real quick, yeah. the thing with that,
2: I mean, if you go out there to oppose an evil like abortion, because that, you know, we believe that's the greatest evil of our age and it, that it demands our immediate attention. But when you do that, you're naturally going to talk about the gospel in general and sin in general. And, you know, the state of man separated from God because of his sin It's always going to go back to that if you're unashamedly Christian about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's not even hard to get in that conversation. And so you end up talking about all kinds of things. Not just abortion.
1: Amen. So, amen. So, yeah, that was that was just a powerful experience, just being out there. If you if you haven't had a chance to put boots on the ground with Toby. Get out there, come to Norman, uh, hit the mill and and uh, uh, stand with this man as he as he brings the word on the sidewalk, which is really the pulpit of our day right now is, is, is the sidewalk where the law of God needs to be preached into the areas of pagan lawlessness. So, look, um, define agitation, uh, Toby. What is agitation? When we're talking about agitation as abolitionists. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a word from you know the eighteen hundreds. So for those of us that aren't familiar with agitation, what is agitation and how does it relate to abolitionism?
2: Right. So I've given talks about agitation in the past and I think a common misconception that people get about the term agitation because it carries some baggage with it. It's not like being annoying or trying to start fights just for the sake of being annoying or trying to get under somebody's skin. It's actually just nothing more than bringing the truth into conflict with darkness or shining the light into darkness, right. bringing truth into conflict with error. Um, and so obviously, as abolitionists, we're going to agitate the obvious error of, like, believing that murdering a child is health care, that the pro-choice movement puts out there. But what a lot of people don't realize in our culture and within Christendom is that there's a lot of error out there that has just been accepted as true a lot of presuppositions that people have a lot of traditions that people have um and as god has awakened us to a lot of this reality and just kind of looking at the pro-life movement looking at at christendom and the state of christianity in america and and awakening us by his grace to a lot of what's going on and what's keeping abortion legal it's not just the pro-choice movement but it's a lot of the the humanistic ways that uh, Christianity in America, um, or the Christian culture in America mm. and the pro-life movement as a result ha- um, have, um, have, undertaken to fight this evil. Um, and so it's, you know, it's, it's really, it's, it's putting your finger on those traditions. It's challenging those presuppositions that people have just, you know, unthinkingly accepted as true and as the right way to do things and challenging those from a biblical perspective. And when you do that, you know, you're stepping on people's feet because sometimes they don't want to think they don't want to relinquish some of their traditions or their positions that they've held to, um, or their ideas that, you know, maybe they've spent a lot of time, um, and energy in those ideas to fight this evil. And all of a sudden you challenge that and they're like, well, are you saying that my work has all been in vain? Are you saying that like all this time and energy i put into this idea, yeah, they don't want to give that up. And so it does agitate them. But what often occurs is that you do it enough, you agitate them enough, you dismantle their ideas enough and, and show why it's consistent and give good arguments for it. Um, they begin to slowly awaken. And even if they don't like slap an AHA on their back and jump on ship. Mm-hmm. They slowly do begin to reform their rhetoric, reform their understanding, and reform their actions in in regard to what they do to fight abortion. And so you can see a lot of that taking place, what we like to refer to as a paradigm shift. Mm. Um, And so agitation is really just just destroying the sacred cows of a lot of people, not just destroying misinformation um, and ideas that the pro-choice movement props up and unbelievers prop up. But that Christians have unwittingly adopted and employed themselves as
1: well. So. Right, right, awesome, awesome. Uh, and where do we agitate? Oh man, in the culture, everywhere, 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 <laughs> everywhere. anywhere, anywhere yeah. the culture is, yeah. we go
2: to agitate there yeah. because anywhere the culture is, there's bad and misinformed ideas that need to be corrected mm-hmm. and replaced with biblical ideas and a biblical understanding of how to combat evil. And so that's that's what we mean by agitation. And when that happens, and as people begin to wake up, you see two sides form, those who want to hold on to the old ideas, the old paradigm, and those who are willing for the sake of the glory of God and the sake of truth and the sake of justice and righteousness are willing to trash those no matter the cost Come on. and embrace the new paradigm and put that into practice Amen. to advance the kingdom of God. Yes, so that's that's the result and the goal of agitation. Not just to be a jerk and punch people in the gut all the time, right? But for the for the cause of Christ and the cause of truth, um, and in the sake of abortion, the cause of justice for the preborn. So
1: yeah, it's kind of almost like uh, it, it goes along with the same concept of why we use uh, why we use the graphic images, why we show the pictures of the of the victims of the abortion genocide. We want to take the evidence and the ideas of humanism that perpetuate the situation that we have in society where the God of the culture uh, is secular humanism. And we want to show society conceptually, visually, in every area where they are, how it doesn't line up with the law of God, how the law of God is better, and how the law of God can only be established through the preaching of the gospel directly at the evil of the age. That's everywhere. And for those of y'all who are—I keep on going back to this. For those of y'all who think you have the right ideas but you're not out there with boots on the ground— there's a greater condemnation. There is a greater judgment because you very well may be right in your thinking. If boots aren't on the ground, there is a serious issue. And one of the major things that we find um, when we put the boots on the ground is that we get the opposition from the pagan state. And that opposition from the pagan state often comes in the, for- in the form of secular humanist law enforcement, Uh a law enforcement that doesn't enforce the law of God, a uh, magistrates that are enforcing the law of man, trying to provide a better redemption than God, uh, the police. And so, uh, look, I have, uh, as a rough estimate, um, Uh, How many times have you been uh, uh, confronted by uh, with police? Have you confronted police uh, on the bad guy side in the battle to abolish abortion, kind of like defending it?
2: I mean, any time like a Christian is actively out engaging the culture and I mean, our culture is godless and the institutions of our culture are godless. So when you're out there engaging them, boots on the ground, like you're saying, and not just like in theory, you know in your church building or in your room with, with your buddies who all agree with you or reading a book about these ideas. Like if you're actually out there doing it, come on, the culture wants to protect their ideas. And so who are they going to call? They're going to call the police. They're going to call the state to come and try to prevent you from engaging them with their ideas and, and seeking to destroy their institutions. And so if you're out there advancing the kingdom of God in our culture, you're going to interact with with police all the time. It's it was one of the energy. title of the
1: title of one of your uh, one of your videos where it was, uh, and I don't know if you did this or if somebody else did this on on one of your videos was. Uh, uh, if you, if you preach it, or if you preach the gospel, yeah, the yeah. cops will come. Right, yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah I, I, all of a sudden, uh, what was that movie? Fill the dreams like yeah. popped into my mind. I was like, this would be a good title. So, like, <laughs> and it is true. It's true, man. You
1: preach the gospel out there and yeah. the, and the, and the, and the cops will come. The like lit. preaching <laughs> the real, the true gospel, the like well-rounded gospel
2: of the kingdom, which like is transformative to cultures and societies mm-hmm. out in a culture that does not want to be transformed. Shining the light of Christ into a culture that wants to remain in the darkness, man, you go out there and preach that actively, engaging the culture with that, yeah, the police are going to come. It's guaranteed. There's no way they're not. Because our culture, and they want to protect their institutions and their ideas, and they want to remain in the darkness. So they're going to do whatever it takes. And the main thing they do is the police
1: on you yes and we are in a missionary mindset in this culture everybody think that we're living in a christian nation this is not a christian nation this is not a christian society the god of this age is going to fight uh to be unseated and that opposition comes in the form of this pagan law enforcement that we always uh are encountering and in that uh how how many times have you been arrested uh doing the work of abolition i've
2: never technically been arrested now Well, not for the work of abolition. I've been arrested before I was a Christian for all kinds of (laughs) reasons. But uh, funny, I've never been thrown in a cop car outside an abortion mill, never on a street corner, only outside of a church building. Oh. (laughs) And that's, unfortunately, that is a common occurrence. Not only will the police be called on you outside of the abortion clinic by the unbelievers— Or at a music festival with the unbelievers or outside a sporting event with the unbelievers. Mm -hmm. But if you go to the church buildings of the churchgoers and the believers, Mm -hmm. they also want to hold on to their traditions. They also want to hold on to their unbiblical thinking in regard to abortion. And so they're also going to call the state on you to try to shut you up and remove you from passing along this information Come on. So that's the one place that I've been thrown into a cop car and threatened with arrest. Um, but in their graciousness, this church decided not to press charges. So.
1: Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, and I look, on one of my videos, I do talk about um, the unholy marriage between the lightless lampstand and the humanistic lawlessness enforcement. It seems like one of the most dangerous places to be. Uh, is outside of one of these ecclesiastical edifices, trying to call Christians and the Bride of Christ higher to victory against the idols of this age. They will call humanistic lawlessness enforcement in a split second. Uh, they will call humanistic lawlessness enforcement on your kids playing soccer on their lawns. Uh, they will. They will. It's just the 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 ideology uh, that are in, that is in the, in the churches today, uh, in the, in the, you know, 80 million Christians, uh, that are so-called, that are populating this nation, the the evangelical ministry, industrial complex land, a landscape, the so-called reform churches, so on and so forth, very rarely will they hesitate to call the pagan state on their behalf. And it's, it's very, very unfortunate. Very few have a theonomic uh, respect for what they do uh, as the body of Christ gathered. The,
2: the funny thing is when abolitionists do church exhortations outside of church buildings often people will get will, will be accused of violating 1 Corinthians 6 and you know bringing our case before an unbelieving, authority or an unbelieving judge because we're like exhorting them and somebody from the world might drive by and be confused about why we're there and then they actually violate first corinthians by calling the state to be the judge between us and them calling the humanistic state really ironic hey
1: look whenever you have and we know there is no neutrality the spiritual man judges between good and between evil, there is no neutral zone. So whenever you operate humanistically, whether you're a Christian, whether you're a church, whether no matter who you are, when you operate humanistically, by very nature of that humanism, you're going to be self-contradictory. You're going to self-refute. Right. And so you see that in action immediately the self-refutation of hey you know you're dragging our issues before the world 1 Corinthians 6 which is a i mean debatable at best appeal to that to that chapter yeah, but yeah. then you blatantly call something that is a, a a pagan source of humanistic redemption to the pagan state against brothers it's not even like the old sheriffs or anything you're calling lawlessness enforcement and then you say well we're called the magistrates and uh, you know this is this is just part of what it means to apply Romans thirteen, so the most sloppiest, uh, <laughs> the sloppiest kind of. Right. Hey, we got We got We got to move forward. Right. Um, uh, okay, so um, what advice would you have for abolitionists in regard to being prepared for contact uh, with the humanistic lawlessness enforcement in the field?
2: Right. Well, number one, like I said earlier, and I mean most abolitionists are active and out on the streets, and they've all encountered. Uh, mm-hmm cops out there before although I know there's you know, there's a new guy that's been coming and his first experience was with me at the Oklahoma City Clinic and he was watching what I did and kind of in between some of the clips he was like man I really need to like study up on what to say because you know his first time he probably would have just been like rolled over and be like okay whatever you guys say I'll leave now you know but one be prepared for them to come out like it's going to happen if you engage long enough and it's not going to take long they are going to come out um, secondly realize that these police officers they're just people they're a part of the culture they need to be agitated they need to be challenged um, and so we shouldn't treat them as though like they're not a part of the culture um, we shouldn't like well let's make deals with the cops and they can we'll work within their framework or their box and we'll just you know we'll do whatever they tell us even if it's violating our rights or whatever We need to realize that, One, they need to be appealed to a lot of the ideas about, um, the police force need to be dismantled and destroyed. Um, and also that, you know, these are people that need to know the law of God. A lot of them are lost. A lot of them claim to be Christians. A lot of them say, Lord, Lord, and don't do what he says. Come on. Some of them are true brothers and and sisters in Christ, and they need to be appealed to as brothers and sisters in Christ and called to the standard of, of God's law. Um. But, yeah, I mean, just, just talk to them like regular people. Talk to them like you would talk to your neighbor, your actual neighbor. Talk to them like you would talk to a family member. Um, talk to them like you might talk to a pro-choicer on the street. Talk to them like you might talk to a Christian outside of a church building. But do engage them. If they show up to where you're at and they're observing, turn and start talking to them. Just turn and engage them. Come and on. Start appealing to them about what they ought to do in regards to this Holocaust um secondly i'd say that we realize that the officers will come out one they're allowed to lie to you they're allowed to make things up to get you to do what they to comply with what they want you to do just to because their primary thing is they want to keep the peace meaning they want you to stop doing what you're doing so that the abortionist can can continue to do what they're doing with the least amount of conflict and so whatever they have to say to get you to comply they're going to tell you that um the other thing is a lot of them are totally ignorant about the law um like in oklahoma city at the clinic and i have this video up the cop shows up and he's like what well, do you have a permit for a public demonstration out here i was like no i don't need one he's like yes you do i just got off the phone with the permits department and they said that you need a permit i was like no i don't i I've dealt with this. Every time I come out here, you guys tell me the same thing. It's always a different police officer. I'm like, no. I was like, you're either lying or you don't know what you're talking about. I was like, go call your superior. Talk to him. He'll tell you what's up. He walks away, comes back five minutes later. He's like, well, you're right. You don't need a permit. I was like, I know. I already told you that. Um, you know, So I don't yeah. know if he was lying or if he just didn't know. But it is a combination of both. There have, like, I can't remember where I was. I was in another state at a Project Nineveh. And an officer was telling us we had to move from this sidewalk, that it wasn't public. And I challenged him on it. And I challenged him enough. And finally, he was like, hey, you know your rights, man. Good thing. Like, he knew he was lying to me. He admitted he was lying to me. And when I challenged him on it, he finally was like, well, good thing you know what you're talking about. Or you would have listened to me and moved. Yeah. You know, this other guy may have been ignorant. He may have actually thought I needed a permit, but I knew I didn't. So, actually, like, no the laws in your city know the city ordinances i had a screenshot of city ordinance that i was able to read to him and challenge him on to try to dismantle and disarm what he was trying to do to get me
1: to stop so so important so important so two sides to that make sure that you caught that a war room practical tactical information right there they don't don't assume that they know the laws certainly don't assume that they are telling the truth definitely don't assume that. Remember that this is a humanistic institution to the core and that they will lie to you to get you to do, to get you to comply with what they want you to do 100% and then also make sure that you know your law. You got to know, you know, the exactly like what where the, uh, um, like talk about that actually a little bit. Like if you're on a sidewalk, right, and you're outside of a a, a murder mill. And okay. so there's nothing but the sidewalk, a grassy area, and then kind of like whether it's the wall or their parking lot. Where gen- is there a general place that you're yeah. allowed to
2: stand? Or So in general, there is a public easement on the side of every road. Every public road, there's going to be a public easement. Now, it's, it differs from you know county to county or, or city to city. I've been told it's 8 feet off the road, um, that it's 12 feet, that it's 15 feet. But generally... Whether there's a sidewalk there or there's just grass or dirt and there's no sidewalk, people have to be able to safely walk or stand along a street without standing in the street because that's not safe. Mm -hmm. And so it's called a public easement. Um, Generally, you can tell where the public easement is if there's public utility lines or, um, you know, public utility boxes there that the city has to come and maintain. That's a public easement and you're allowed to stand there. Um, Now, there are special instances like in Dallas, we were outside of the federal building and the sidewalk in front of that. There was a special rule there. You couldn't stand there. You could walk by, but you could not stand there and you would be arrested. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, but in general, there's going to be a public easement eight to 15 feet off of the road that you can stand and you can demonstrate. Um, You can preach, you know, do all the things, the abolitionist agitation that you would do. Um, but most of the time, the cops gonna tell you, you can't stand here.
1: Hmm.
2: This isn't public, and you just say, yes, it is. Look at those utilities right there. I have to have eight to ten feet off of it. you know, I got to be able to safely stand or walk here, so I know this is public. Yes. Just always challenge them. Just, just push it, and if they finally come and they show you like some, you know, map of the city, and they're like, no, this isn't public for this reason, you know, and then at that point say, well, am, are you going to arrest me if I don't move? and if they, if they say yes I will arrest you right now if you don't move and go ahead and move but
1: yeah if you if you would like If to they move. don't
2: tell you they're going to arrest you okay. say well I'm just going to stand here.
1: Yeah. I've done that several times and they never arrested me. So. Yeah. That is just that's practical right there. Absolutely. And is there like normally like looking up city ordinances like I mean how we we go I mean we travel more often than I'd say your average You know, uh, somebody who's just going to be practicing the work of abolition in their town or whatever. Some recon who decides I'm going to put these books down and get out on the field in their town where they are. So all you got to do is just look up the city ordinances and things like that, right? Right. Uh, Well, that's
2: that's another reason why it's actually important for like abolitionism to be local and just you know, I mean, Christian evangelism in general to be going on by the locals in that community rather than like some major organization that sends out people to go to city to city. It's like when there's a project Nineveh in Chicago or Florida or Houston or wherever we've done them, those abolitionists there, they know their local community. They know the rules and regulations and the the laws there and what you can and cannot do. Some places you can use amplification, some places you can't. And so if I come in from out of town to do the work of abolition with local abolitionists, I rely, I rely on them for a lot of that information. I don't look up laws for every place I go, sure. you know, but I do know the a lot
1: of the laws in the place
2: that I live.
1: Sure. So. Sure. Absolutely. Super important. In, in your experience, look, uh, what percentage of police uh, claim to be Christian while actively protecting the practice of a child sacrifice to the idol of humans? Well, I mean,
2: probably the same amount of people that claim to be Christians that are walking into abortion clinics to murder <laughs> their children on Man. any given day, which is probably over 50%. Man, I mean, I can say right now of the five police officers who work off duty at Larry Burns Child Sacrifice Center here in Norman, Oklahoma, three of those five that I've talked with and interacted with, you know, in a significant way, all claim to be Christians, all claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. Um, The other two i have really never engaged with more than a few words. And so who knows, it may be five for five at the clinic here. Um, I've had interaction with other police officers who have cited me um, for a noise ordinance violation in Norman. Both of them claim to be Christians, and I think they actually were the way that yeah. they seem to come under conviction when I challenged them on why they would actually, like, even give me the citation instead of just ripping it up and throwing, throwing it in the trash right then and there. Yeah. Um, yeah. The two police officers in Oklahoma City uh, told me— that they were on my side, that they actually agreed with me about abortion, but, hey, there's just nothing I can do about it. I mean, I I, I got to do my job, man. I got to protect everyone's rights. Got to uphold the uh, law, man. Got right. to
1: uphold child sacrifice. Right? So, you
2: know, I mean, mm-hmm. you could assume they might be professing Christians. I don't know. Yeah. You know? Sure. But a lot.
1: Sure. A lot. So, yeah. The, about the same amount of as the as the women going in there right. to, to, to murder. A, <laughs>
2: They're at least churchgoers. Uh, yeah. That's for sure.
1: The, uh, the, the gentlemen driving there their uh, uh uh ladies up to the um uh to the murder mills with the uh, with the fish on the back of the car and with yeah. the bible in the uh the
2: other day a girl came up and she had like a proverb tattooed on her back and i was, every time i see something like i try to point that out. i'm like so i noticed that you got scripture tatted on your back i noticed you have a cross on your rear view mirror what does that actually mm. mean to you you know so you know you do the same thing with with the cop if you find out he's a christian ask him where he goes to church ask him who his pastor is ask him if he's talked to his pastor about what he does and does he approve of it?
1: Yeah. And at that same
2: point, you're setting up a future church exhortation.
1: Yes, you are. Yes, you are. And and we're going to get into that in right, one right. second here. Jumping ahead. Um, oh, look, uh, And I mean, but you did bring up a really good point in terms of being really alert to, you know, just don't, don't be so on what you think you're going to, what you have to say that you're not actually observing your surroundings. Look at these little keys like of, of, you know the uh, the the participants in the in the ritual of child sacrifice. Look if they have like Christian tattoos and things like that. Like you can use God will show you these things. So like don't have your blinders on. Be tactical out there. A lot. Hey, not to get too far off track, but Life Church TV, uh, Life TV. What's it called? It's Life Dot Church now. They've changed the name. LifeChurch TV to life.church. Or uh, like it, it, this probably is good for another episode with you, but did, did, you've, you've encountered several of the goats from from Life TV oh, yeah. out there. I've seen several of those. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, one that I just, just got baptized or something like, baptized
2: like that. Baptized on Tuesday or baptized on Sunday. Abortion clinic on Tuesday. It's the title of the video because he literally is like, "Well, I just got baptized on Tuesday," and he was at the abortion clinic or on Sunday at the abortion clinic on Tuesday. It's like really, what church do you go to? Life Church. I mean, that's a common occurrence outside wow. of the abortion clinic here in Norman. So
1: yeah, I think that we're we're getting into a. I think the Spirit gave us a part two. Uh, yeah, different you know, topic uh, there. for sure. Different but show. I noticed that in these encounters that you had, and the the title of them, and we're going to link to these on the live feed. We're also going to have them on Reconstructionist Radio, Facebook, and I'm going to have them also on my Joe Salant Facebook page. Uh, Again, I've already posted them. I think the title of them uh, was uh, Christian Cop Works for Blood Money, Part 1 and Part 2, on Toby Harmon's Facebook page, Toby Harmon's, as well as the Abolish Human Abortion uh, Facebook page. By the way, and the YouTube channel, Abolish Human Abortion YouTube channel, if you have not, Uh, liked the abolish human abortion facebook page Uh, that is something to do immediately Uh, that is obviously one of the portals that we have resources uh, tools of dominions that dominion that we have to exercise dominion for king jesus go ahead and like that page uh, and fellowship with the brothers and sisters they're active in the fight i noticed in these encounters that you had with this lawlessness enforcement agent Outside of Larry Burns' uh, child sacrifice zone, right down the street from where we're sitting, right here in the bunker in Norman, Oklahoma. I noticed uh, uh, that, I noticed with this individual, you used a lot of scripture and historical parallels frequently. Talk about, kind of, walk us through what happened uh, when you're out. So you're out there. Kind of narrate the video for us. You have your you have your signs. You're basically just doing your final lines at the death at the death mill uh, evangelism, uh, pleading for the lives of the unborn. And then you see this lawlessness enforcement agent. Walk us through what happened there, and tell yeah. us some of the scripture and historical parallels. You're going to want to pay attention to this part of the interview for sure.
2: Well, so like back to what I was saying about agitation is really challenging presuppositions that people have adopted and it affects the way they they act or behave um, affects things that they do in culture and you know affects if if it's a a non-Christian presupposition that's inconsistent with the Bible or inconsistent with the law of God obviously it's going to cause them to act in unchristian ways that they aren't even aware of necessarily Um, and so it's important one of those presuppositions that police officers have and that regular citizens have towards the police is like, we just have to obey the police and do whatever they tell us, even if it violates, you know, our rights. And the cops think, well, I just have to do my job. I mean, I don't like this unjust law and I don't like this unjust practice, but I mean, I have to do my job and I'm beholden to the state and I'm beholden to my superior officers to obey their commands and their orders. Uh But if you know basic history and anything about, like, past oppressive um, cultures, we have that in American culture and German culture, um, whether it's, like, uh, you know, slavery, whether it is um, segregation or whatever it is, you can point back to those instances and say, look, if you would have lived back then, would you have just done your job? And so when I started with this officer he was an African-American officer. So I chose the issue of slavery um, because African-Americans have been oppressed and there's still racism that's within our culture and they still um, experience those things. And so of all people, I think, man, this should resonate with them, you know? Yeah. Um, And so this, this, this cop was an African-American cop and he came out and he started talking to me and I was like, excuse me, sir. I was like, how many runaway slaves have you returned to their masters in the deep south this week oh and he's just kind of like what none i I would never do that i'm like (laughs) oh really okay well you know what you're doing right now is the equivalent of that because the officers or you know whatever they were the bounty hunters or the people that were hired to do that the civil magistrates were just doing their jobs they they saw a runaway slave by law they had to Return that runaway slave or at least hold him and capture him until somebody else could come and get him and return that slave who was on their way to, like, be reunited with their family that had been freed or, like, on their way to freedom. And according to the law, they were supposed to return them, the Fugitive Slave Law, right? And so you try to put them into that situation and say, if you would not, if you would turn a blind eye to an escaped slave or even more, you'd probably help him escape with your mindset that you have now in regards to slavery, yeah, why would you protect the murder of children today? You are you you're in the shoes of the oppressor, the very ones that you look back in history and think, "I would have been that guy. I would have been Harriet Tubman on the Underground Railroad. I would have been you know this guy that that helped slaves escape." No, you wouldn't, because you're not him now, and you're living in the midst of something worse wow. than slavery, and so. You know, I try to put him in that position in history and challenge him and show him, look, you might say you're just doing your job, but this part of your job that you're doing is completely unjust and it's equivalent to what happened in history. So
1: Yeah, and if you and when you watch this encounter, you can see it in the eye you can see the absolute struggle that is taking place within uh, this this lawlessness enforcement agent as Toby is giving him the stark historical parallel uh, between catching a runaway slave between uh, going and catching a runaway slave because it's your so-called job and protecting the practice of child sacrifice. Now, a quick tidbit, uh, police in the South, they weren't there weren't cops in America, a uh, police as we know them today in the founding of America. And uh, the first police that we had uh, in the in the South were actually police that were chasing uh, runaway slaves. That were actually it, it, police was instituted in the in the South for the purpose of hunting down runaway slaves. Just like in New York, police was instituted in the 1840s under Tammany Hall's uh, crooked administration to collect revenue for the Pagan state. And so it is so eerie. It is so eerie to see this institution right here that is established under lawlessness with, that has this this so this this uh, individual who identifies as a Christian. Now, we can't speak to his spiritual state. I can you definitely see that there was a battle going on in his in the video for sure. Yeah. But here he is doing exactly what the police in the 1800s would have done to his ancestors, doing exactly that on the wrong side of the evil of our age. It is chilling. It is powerful. And if you're not out there showing them this truth, they will go along thinking that they would be the next Harriet Tubman, that they would be the next uh, civil rights, you know, great if they had the opportunity to do it. Now, wouldn't they? Wouldn't they? Right? Um, Another instance in
2: Oklahoma City video where I'm interacting with these cops up there, the uh, Preach It and They Will Come video, um, I asked, The officer, I think he's the lieutenant, he's like six months from retirement. He was concerned about his pension, and so he didn't want to, like, do anything too crazy to jeopardize that. But I was like, look, in China, they used to force women. I think they've changed that law now, but they would force women to have abortions. Now, if you were a Chinese cop and it was your duty to go to a woman's house who you had been informed had more was pregnant with her second child, would you take her into custody and force her into an abortion clinic so that she would have an abortion. Oh. And he actually said, I guess I would. Yeah. And, but then like right out, he's like, well, I mean, we're not in China. So, you know, so. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. I, that was, that was crazy. And it, it's just the logical conclusion to their presupposition, right? If they're going to be consistent, they have to, they have to, this is just where it goes now. And I, I, when you found out that this uh um this police uh, officer was a Christian, uh and you started hitting him with the historical parallels and you started breaking down scripture for him, he started coming at you with some basically just some some uh he at first said that he, you know, kind of agrees with you but he needs to abide by the law of man instead of the law of God. Right. Right? But then he started coming with some pro abort stuff. You yeah, know? yeah, he
2: I mean he, he he affirmed at one point that yes god's word was the authoritative word of god and like that's our standard that jesus is christ that he's lord and king we should obey him but man as soon as i started challenging his presuppositions and giving him the historical um analogies he immediately would totally undermine the authority of scripture and he'd be like well yeah but i mean You know, Scripture says all kinds of things that we would never want to follow now. And, like, I mean, people use Scripture to, like, justify all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. I mean, everyone's got their different interpretation. And, I mean, we can't really know truth type ideas that he was putting out there. And, I mean, he he basically had to deny the Christian worldview in order to continue to justify, well, I'm just doing my job mentality. That, you know, he had to hold on to that presupposition and defend it and defend the fact that he was
1: working for blood money and in doing so he also had to deny christianity sure sure and it, exactly deny christianity he uh, it was it was crazy um the spirit led toby to actually bring a uh, a sign that he doesn't usually bring mm-hmm. um where it actually shows that the body inside your body is not your body and it goes like again it it just refutes the bodily autonomy argument and this police officer a Christian supposedly police officer tried to use that throw yeah. board argument on you. What, right. do you. You never take that sign out there, huh?
2: No, I never do. Um, in fact, the only reason I know where it's at is because another abolitionist was asking about it. And so I pulled it out. And I think I was taking measurements also on that size sign for a future project. Um, and I was like, yeah, oh, you know what? I'm going to go hold this sign somewhere sometime. So I threw it in my car. and uh just decided i'm gonna take it to the clinic and i'll put that out for people driving up so they can see it it's it's basically got a diagram of a child in utero and it shows like the vaginal um opening and you know the uterus and the fallopian tubes and the ovaries and it shows the child inside Mm -hmm. and uh he was saying something about how the child is the woman's body and so you know, it's different than forcing a woman into a clinic against her will because we're not forcing anyone against their will. And I was like, no, but you're removing the victim from the scenario. The victim is the child, not the woman. He's like, well, no, that's different because it's the same body in this situation. So I went and grabbed the sign. I was like, hey, let me give you a basic biology lesson. He held the sign up, yeah. you know, named all the, the parts yeah. that were being shown. And then I pointed. I said, what's that? And he said, that's a baby. I was like, right, that's not the woman's body, right? He's like, well, I mean, I was like, well, does the woman have four eyes, four legs, four arms? And he saw the ridiculousness in that. Yeah. So five minutes later, after I gave him the biology lesson, he goes back to arguing the same thing. And I, I just had to mock him a little bit at that point. was like, hold on, I think you forgot the biology lesson. I went and got the sign and had to redo it. Yeah. But, I mean, he really, the entire conversation, he's reduced to absurdity. Because he has to deny the foundation of truth and logic and reason, which is the Christian worldview, in order to continue to justify what he's doing out there.
1: Yeah, whatever humanistic uh uh, uh worldviews put on their shingle, it's always the opposite. It's always right. being reduced to absurdity. So that was so we found out that he was a Christian, we hit them we hit him with uh, you know, obviously the scripture, the historical parallels, we refuted. Now notice we're talking to a agent of the pagan state out there. And we are hitting them, we are hitting him with agitation. We're not we're not just ignoring him and talking to the women that are going in. We are talking about what a magistrate's responsibility is and also especially what a Christian magistrate's in a culture that kills his children. We are agitating this individual based on the standard, the perfect standard of the Word of God. Now, did we find out where he goes to church? Yeah, I mean, most of the cops when I interact with them, like the other two
2: that say they're Christians, they won't tell me where they go. They won't tell me who their pastor is. But I tried to ask it in a way that it, like it wasn't that important to me.
1: Yeah, it was. But
2: it. he's like, yeah, I go to Fifth Street Missionary Baptist Church in Oklahoma City. My pastor is Pastor I can't remember his name. I'm like, oh, it's good to know. I type that in my phone and save that information real quick so I can look up you know information about that church. Try to contact his pastor. Um, And I did try to contact his pastor uh, two times now, and there's no answer. I've left messages, sent a Facebook message asking to get in contact. But I did find out some information about his church. Now, I read under their statement of beliefs, like what they believe. And from what I could tell, it was pretty theologically orthodox. Like they affirm, you know, the the authority of Scripture. They affirm the Trinity. They affirm that Jesus Christ is both God and man. And, you know, all the... All the doctrines that you have to have, which Mm -hmm. I agree, you know, to, to be considered an orthodox, legit, um, Mm -hmm. you know, manifestation of the bride of Christ. But, uh, what I did find is that the pastor's wife is an adjunct professor at Oklahoma University in the women's and gender study program, which is like the most rapidly pro abort, um, um, you know, group at OU. Sure. I mean, the. It's all pro-homosexual, pro-abortion, um, rabid feminists, and totally non-Christian. So, I mean, I can't imagine what she's teaching or why she'd be teaching in there if she was actually a Christian or if she was actually teaching Christianity that they would want her teaching in there in the first place. So, yeah. they gave me some idea of what this church's position on abortion probably is. Yeah, And even if they were against abortion... I don't have a lot of confidence that the pastor would take much action in regards to discipline of this this officer. Yeah,
1: so uh, another church that uh, most likely holds a moral opinion uh, that is 100% useless because it has no boots on the ground, huh? Exactly. Yeah, and just not willing uh, uh, to—when the rubber meets the road, it's easy to say something from a pulpit, uh, but actually holding the flock accountable— to the standard of the Word of God in an age where it could cost everything is definitely, definitely something that the lightless lampstand and the saltless salt in the ministry industrial complex just is is not willing to do at this point. And it looks like, you know, I mean, I'd be fair to say that that nine out of 10, I, I'm being generous, really. Uh, you know, people that w- we run into in similar situations like this go to one of these lightless lampstands that will do nothing in a situation like this, will not hold... Uh, an individual like this accountable. Yeah. Now uh so what's the process with the uh with the church besides um what's what's the next step uh with this pastor? where where, where do you see it going from here? You, we, we uh Yeah, I mean I also found out that this guy's the chaplain for the Oklahoma City
2: Thunder basketball team, the NBA team here. So I get the idea. He's an adjunct professor at a college somewhere too. So I get the idea that he's pretty busy and I'm probably never going to get a phone call back or get him on the other line. Sure. Uh, So I'm probably have to just go to the church on a Sunday when I know he's going to be there preaching and seek to uh, gain an audience with him there and engage him about this situation. And, uh, you know, sure. Hopefully we can move forward from there and see what happens. And, uh, you know, if he's like defends, the officer working there for blood money or whatever then uh, a church exhortation and exposing that sin would be in yeah, order
1: so absolutely 100% so look um what instructions uh would you have for our audience besides obviously prayer what if anything, like if you know, for the people that are listening to this and are going to be listening to this when it comes out on the actual podcast? Right now, we're just th- doing it on the Facebook Live. What would you? What do you want? The, what do you want them to do for this specific situation, which is referred to with the title on Facebook and on YouTube? Uh, Christian cop works for blood money, part one and two. Abolitionist Toby Harmon agitating uh, uh, humanistic lawlessness enforcement outside of the murder mill. Uh, where Larry Burns uh, supervises the uh, slaughter of image bear- bearers uh, in Norman, Oklahoma, where this police officer is working on his spare time uh, to get extra money uh, guarding the altar for the slaughter. Paid directly by the
2: abortionist. Like, oh. The abortionist signs this guy's check paid in blood money it's not like the norman pd is saying hey this is your beat that you have to work and we're <laughs> gonna pay you to do it that would be a problem too but man he's like volunteering
1: to work and be paid by the abortionist so Dude, what would your but what do you have any uh, further instructions that you have yeah, for i artists? mean what, what, they're like i want to do something with specifically this right i mean i've you know, I don't think we've done things where we've flooded Facebook
2: pages before in the past. Um, I don't think we're at that point yet. I would like to try to talk to the pastor firsthand about this and, you know, either get him on record justifying this guy or hopefully he'd be broken in repentance and seek to do what's right. But, I mean, I think the main thing you do is obviously pray about it. But uh, go watch the videos and share them around. Don't just share them to your wall, but share them in like, different groups that you're in and encourage people to watch them. Um, and because not only um, does it help expose sin, but it's instructive also on how we can interact with
1: police officers out there in the streets. So. Amen. Amen. 100%. And, and, and stay tuned for this. But, and I would like to exhort you all, uh, if you feel like, hey, I want to do something to jump in this current situation, uh, you can Get your boots on and go down and preach the gospel outside of your your, your neighborhood child sacrifice center, uh, outside of your uh, so-called high schools and outside of your town squares, government facilities. If you preach it now. They They will come and get your, make sure you film it and make sure you get it online so that people can see, so that the bride of Christ can see that we are not supposed to be submitting the law of God underneath the law of man and treating these magistrates as if they can boss us around while we're there to institute the law of God against child sacrifice. Yeah, it is. It's actually an important aspect of shifting
2: the paradigm and transforming the way culture thinks about these things and destroying misinformation is to like go out there and get those interactions and put them on display for people to see. Mm. Um, It's important to show cops lying to people. It's important to show somebody who knows what they're talking about, um, engaging these police officers and destroying these presuppositions that they have and, you know, making these parallels to history. And, I mean, it's instructive. Um, and so it's it's just a good teaching thing to do. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. good for you to go out there and do it and then put your video up online for people to
1: see. So Sure, sure. And and educate yourself. I mean, don't educate yourself to death where you're just sitting there reading books all the time. But, I mean, pour yourself into this a little bit. Have a, uh, have a product that you're putting out there on the field. Uh, study to show yourself approved. Wield the acts of the gospel against the evil of the age. We're wrapping this down. And uh, we're going to take maybe a few questions from the Facebook Live audience. If you would like to type up your question real quick and throw it up there. Uh, If it's a question that's like, you know, cool and good, we'll take it. If your question... Uh, was something that was stupid. We're not going to answer you. No, nah, I'm just playing, man. Don't even worry about that. If or if it's <laughs> something that we can't
2: answer, we'll ignore it like we didn't see
1: it. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was. Hey, I was trying to make us look good on that one. It's <laughs> hilarious. Sorry, sometimes I'm just like blatantly honest. About <laughs> I was trying to cover it. I was trying to like. I was like the police officer, and then you were like, "Well, really, we're just not going to answer a question we don't know the answer to." So we're all all softball questions. So if you got a softball, a lot of us to us, man, we will just we'll crack it for you um uh so we're, we're gonna uh we're wrapping this down but um look before we before we wrap it up and and take some take a few questions from our facebook live audience if we decide to answer if y'all brave enough to type one into that computer screen uh share an exhortation uh, uh toby for reconstructionists who are abolitionists in theory but not in practice and y'all know Who you are the reason why Toby can speak this to y'all is because the principle of leadership is the one who serves leads and Toby is serving out there he is out there with the boots on the ground providing the example so it's not about uh, what kind of title you have it's not about if you've been appointed by this board or that board or, or or anointed to a position by the hands of men what it's about is if you're actually out there serving and transforming the culture for christ you have a position of leadership so actually really look take that mantle and exhort reconstructionists who are abolitionists in theory but not in practice you look, tell them tell them to tell them to get to work man right i mean i would say like in reality there is no such thing as an
2: abolitionist in theory because abolitionism implies that you're out there bringing the gospel into conflict with the kingdom of darkness that you're out there Putting in the work with boots on the ground In whatever way that's going to look like for you Now not everybody can go to an abortion mill Not everybody can write a book But what what we see the problem Is that a lot of people like to read about the ideas They like to hear people talk about the ideas They like to have a firm knowledge and understanding and grasp And they like to be able to tell other people In their circles about the ideas But if you only ever do that your influence never leaves your circle and it never transforms the broader circle, which is culture at large to, to, to become what you desire to see, you know, to see it become. And so um, everybody can read a book and everybody can learn about these things and everybody can have men's book studies on them and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's all fine and good. And there is a place for that. But if you're not actually, putting the work in and going out there and applying those things like on a daily basis in whatever sphere of influence you have and around whatever people that you have in your life. And even just going out in the culture in general and in the streets, then it becomes pretty worthless.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: and you know, the, the, the verse faith without works is dead. I mean, it doesn't matter how well you know your theology doesn't matter um, what you think of Jesus Christ, if you're not out there obeying his commands and putting those things into practice, it's totally worthless. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I would say for Reconstructionists who do have like this optimistic eschatology, who do um, believe that as Christians we've overcome the world and that we're walking in victory, who do think that like culture can be transformed Priest. to mirror the law of God, like, they're actually going to be more accountable because they know their master's will. Yeah. And if they're not actually going out there and applying their master's will and putting their master's will into practice, they're going to be beaten with many stripes. They're going to be more accountable for what they knew and didn't do than those who maybe didn't know and maybe did some things in the wrong way even. Yeah. And so... If, if you have this understanding of scripture and you are you have this understanding that we are to build the kingdom of god here and now on earth as it is in heaven and you're not actually out there with your hand to the plow then man you're in trouble when jesus comes back because come on we, we know what the bible says about that luke twelve forty
1: seven. go read it come on hey you recons man look fellow recons <laughs> You know who you are. You know who you are. Looking at some of the stuff online, saying, "Yeah, I have. Well, I have this theology down." And 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 some of these abolitionists are weird in their thinking. But then you see them out there, and you see yourself not. Luke twelve forty seven. You're going to get a severe beating because the reconstructionist with boots on the ground is the one that actually is putting in the work for the king to transform the culture ideas in the head are not going to do anything if they're not manifested with boots on the ground war room boots on the ground joe salant with toby Harmon, blessed 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 by this man of god my friend uh who is out there serving and providing that example of leadership in doing so Uh, smashing the idol of child sacrifice, confronting pagan lawlessness enforcement out there boldly, not afraid, not afraid. There was not one ounce of fear visible on Toby as he was in the spirit, just speaking truth, dropping truth bombs about the kingdom of God to this lawlessness enforcement agent out there. Man, check it out. Uh, And it's called Christian Cop Works for Blood Money, part one and two. Shifting focus, get y'all questions ready now and start typing them into the live feed if you have any for Toby Harmon. Do that now. Um, shifting focus to, to, to wrap it up, uh, due to the kind of recent events that have been going on in the fight, there's a very important question or issue or topic that needs to be addressed once and for all. And this is for, for for those of y'all who are in the know, really kind of a seasoned abolitionist, this is like a no duh for y'all. But for the majority of those who are in the pro-life community and don't really consider themselves compromisers but just don't know the difference or for those looking into abolitionism but don't really understand what's going on and just seeing stuff on social media this is a very very important tactical question and i must ask it at the at the risk of offense or whatever the case may be truth at the end of the day is what we stand we stand on the foundation of the word of god we fear god not man so why uh give us a little bit on why the focus of shutting down abortion mills is not abolitionism and what the grave error is in thinking that ridding a state of a surgical abortion facility is equivalent to ending or abolishing abortion in that state
2: okay um hopefully i can keep my thoughts in order here uh so to start, First, I would say that, like, there are a lot of good people that are, like, trying to get involved in abolitionism that have this thinking. When they think of abortion, they think of the abortion clinic. And the only thing that they can conceive of in their mind that they can do is to go to an abortion clinic. And so a lot of times I'll get emails to the Abolish Human Abortion website um, through the website there or the contact. And they'll say, well, I mean, I want to do the work of abolition but I live in this county or this city and there's no abortion mill here. So I'm, I think I'm going to name it the abolitionist society of some other city, like two hours away where there's an abortion clinic, because in their head, the only thing they can think of is abortion mill ministry, mm. abortion clinic. And they're like, I'm like, no, 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 no. the culture exists in your little hometown. People in your hometown, they're going to go to that abortion clinic two hours away. They need to see the evil of abortion exposed there. Um, you have pharmacies in your hometown that sell abortion over the counter and behind the counter. Um, So abortion doesn't just happen at the abortion clinic. Um, And also because in our culture we have adopted ageism and we think of like later term abortions, the ones that are more grisly looking, uh, more gruesome, that those are somehow worse or more murderous than the chemical abortions that kill somebody You know, when they're only a few weeks old and they don't even look like a human being or the abortions happening through selective reproduction or reduction in in vitro fertilization clinics Mm -hmm. Um, or those embryonic children that are only six days or five days developed in a Petri dish and then frozen in a plastic straw in a cryogenic freezer being shipped off because their parents don't want them anymore for scientific experimentation in regards to the abortion clinic itself usually the way that the pro-life movement seeks to shut down these abortion clinics is through regulating them as health care facilitators and showing that they don't meet the health care regulations of the rest of the medical community or they set up these guidelines that they have to meet, hoping that they won't be able to meet those and then shutting them down. But that's only a temporary temporary reprieve of one form of abortion, surgical abortion, in a certain place by a certain person until those regulations are met. And what happens is that the industry is cleaned up. All the dirty murder pits are closed down. All the guys that don't have as many credentials as the new guy are put out of business and you just strengthen and legitimize the abortion industry through the means of surgical abortion clinics, um, and make them more palatable and acceptable to our culture. Um, let's shut down the abortion clinics but let's do that by abolishing abortion which will also take care of chemical abortions uh the intentional killings of children in in vitro fertilization clinics yeah um and so you know the abortion clinic is not the only place that murder happens and again the way we're trying to shut those down are not by treating abortion as murder and by punishing it according to god's law but as treating it as health care sure. and regulating murder, which is unjust in and of itself.
1: Sure. And, and it's amazing to me actually seeing, uh, you know, Reconstructionists and some of the groups that I'm in uh, online and uh, just kind of in everyday life, really just not understanding the fact that when you try to regulate, The murder of the unborn, through like humanistically regulating, like establishing man's law against child sacrifice, this is completely antithetical. It flies in the face of theonomy, one hundred percent. And to say, you know, and to paper it over, I've I've seen people actually even, you know, they should know better, try to paper it over and say, well, you know, sanctification is incremental and. You know, uh, and then use example of permissible incrementalism, like for example, abolishing abortion in a state. That's not what we mean when we talk about incrementalism. When we talk about incrementalism, we're talking about compromise. we're talking about compromise with humanism're talking about
2: compromise um, by abandoning some children to save children that are more human to us, sure. in our age is thinking we're talking about treating abortion as anything or fighting it as anything besides the murder that it is it is murder first and foremost and primarily and only it's nothing else sure. it's murder Everyone why would
1: we treat it as though it's healthcare procedure to be regulated sure and and in those graphs and charts that the humanists put together in the pro-life movement the pro-life movement professionals when they put together these charts and they say how many babies have been saved uh, by these incremental uh, steps that have taken place, even if we took what they said at face value, which completely doesn't... I mean, you can use statistics to lie about anything, and it take, doesn't take into effect a, a whole bunch of different you know things that need to be accounted for. But even if we took them at face value, one of the things they never figure in is... What is the cost in terms of baby meat, in terms of image-bearer human flesh? How much human flesh does it cost to have a so-called Christian writing a humanistic law saying that you can vac- certain babies can be vacuumed into a collection container, and that's permissible, whereas other babies uh, is- can't be murdered by means of a forceps? What is the cost... What is the cost in terms of human flesh, in terms of image bearers, to have a Christian legislator write a rape exception? Yeah, well, I would say the
2: cost is much greater than anyone realizes, I believe. And so oftentimes they'll frame the question, well, we're trying to save as many babies as we can all along the way. Um, And so they always ask the question, well... Look, Or they'll say, look how many babies have been saved. Look at the total number of reductions in abortion um, since all of these regulations have been put in place and these pieces of legislation. Um, And, you know, they'll show the numbers of the reduction, not taking into account Plan B that now kills babies um, or, you know, the perpetuation of chemical abortions. But also, my question is, how many lives has it actually cost us? Because... We've pushed abolition back further and further, decade by decade. And mm-hmm. so let's say that the abortions, the overall abortions were reduced from 1.6 million to 900,000 a year. But if you add all those years that abortion has continued, yeah. 900,000 plus 900,000 plus a million plus 1.2 million plus 1.4, where if we would have all unified around calling for total and immediate abolition and treating abortion as murder, how long ago would abortion have been abolished by now, and how much longer will it be perpetuated into the future if we continue to fight it by regulating it and incrementally chipping away at the branches
1: rather than cutting down the tree itself? Straight up, straight up, based on the law of God. I mean, if we either believe these things or we don't. If the law of God is not to be established, if the gospel isn't true, if the scripture isn't the ultimate standard, if the 66 books, the 40 authors, the theonoustos, the theonoustos, the, 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 the inspired word of God isn't the standard, then we're all wasting our time anyway. Right. And we can't
2: expect to have God's blessing fighting it in an unjust way. I mean, how much more? successful who we be if we are walking in obedience to god and honoring him god will
1: honor our obedience to him you know so uh uh, wayne groover has a question says uh, toby and joe uh incrementalists sometimes say why not both uh let's put the speed bump for abortion on the road to abolition so let's let's make these humanistic laws basically on the way to establish like let's establish lawlessness on the way to establishing god's law like satan has provided has made the problem and provides the solution so why don't we institute his solution and at the, and then at the end god's solution will be instituted is okay. is that kind of the
2: way that they, they think about that okay so let me start with an analogy that we often like to use in regard so we treat abortion as sin right when in scripture when we're called to turn and repent from sin we're called to cut off our hand and gouge out our eye in regards to the sin that has us captivated and enslaved to it and to cast it from us totally and do it right away. We're never called to incrementally do that. And so if Joe, if you were in an adulterous affair on your wife and you came and you were convicted, you're like, Toby, I need to get out of this affair. I know I'm in sin. I don't know how to like, you know, break free and like confess to my wife. And I was like, Joe, here's how you deal with it, man. Just stop having sex seven days a week with this woman, with your mistress, have sex with her five days a week. And then, you know, once you're strong enough, move past that and just have make-out sessions in the yeah. dark with her, but don't actually have sex with her. Yeah. Then, you know, when you know however long down the road, when you yeah. think you're ready for it, you just, like, hold her hand, and that's all the physical contact you have, and late-night walks on the beach, all that stuff.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and then just have late-night phone conversations, and then eventually totally break it off and tell your wife, Mm. Well, if you're continuing to do those things, allowing infidelity all along the way to abolishing infidelity, mm. you're going to continue to choose infidelity. Mm. And you're going to actually make yourself think that you're doing better and that your infidelity is not as bad yeah. because you've been regulating your infidelity
1: and you're not as bad as you were. And you Kay? just keep on getting sucked into the undertow and the humanism. Just le- Look, when you sow into humanism, you will get... Humanism. Right. And the cost of having a Christian legislator who is supposed to be establishing the law of God. Taking a look at the circumstance and saying, well, only the law of man can work here. That is saying that humanism produces a better redemption or a better solution to the problem than God. Satan will always give you a solution that looks good. He's the tempter. He's been doing this for thousands of years. Yeah, and man It's not is- going to look bad. It's going to look good. It's going to look like the Christian thing to do. Right. And sinful man is always going to take the
2: easier Way out. Mm. They're always going to take the easier approach to the sin issue, yeah. um, as Matarella says. He says that politically speaking, now that if if you give two options to legislators, whether it's to like pass this regulationist bill that might pass Supreme Court muster, or to be the guy that finally stands up and says I'm going to abolish abortion as murder, which is going to cause like death threats and upheaval and like being you know made the black sheep of the legislative body you're a part of, um, they're always going to choose the easier one. They're always going to choose the one that's easier because they're more likely to get a victory and put that on their resume to get votes the next time and the approval of their constituents. Come on. So that you don't give them, one, an easier solution over the more difficult one because that easier solution is the unbiblical solution mm-hmm. rather than the biblical one, which is total and immediate repentance making no provision for the flesh and abolishing that thing right away yeah
1: yeah so you're not actually putting a bump on the way to abolition you're taking a fork in the road and you're going completely the other direction of abolition jason sanchez says since humanism is at the root of child sacrifice and the status public school system is where said humanism is propagated to the youth of this nation what can we as abolitionists do to add to the assistance mode of abolitionism in this area? So this is a real, 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 real important concept because what we're talking about here is we always talk about, look, that there's a meme. And it's one of our favorite means So we're not out there at war with abortion. We're at war with the worldview That makes abortion possible and thinkable to begin with. And that worldview is secular humanism. And statist indoctrination zones are zones. It, it is a part of the same thing with the police. It is the, it is a it is it is based out of the humanistic enlightenment, where the state educates the rising generation to treat man's law above God's law, and the shifting sand of man's law is the standard for the culture, and they're inculcated to be basically docile uh, uh, goats for the for the state. And so, Project Frontlines is what we do, obviously. Uh, for the agitation side of that, where you can go to projectfrontlines.com. It is my favorite uh, part of abolition work is to go to these humanistic indoctrination centers. And when you go out there, and you know, this is assistance too, because these kids never, ever, ever, ever are going to hear this if we don't bring this good news and go tell them. So this actually kind of answers the question and in, uh, in its project frontlines actually is the is a good answer to this question as it is, um, but I got something else too. Um, if we go out there, what you'll find when you go to the front lawns of these status uh, secular humanist indoctrination zones, aka public schools, is you will find that three out of ten to four out of ten of these kids will actually listen to you. Will actually receive. Toby, if you go to the projectfrontlines.com website, you will see an encounter that Toby had with, uh, it was a black student and a white student that came out there right down the street, Norman High School, and they came out basically to oppose what you were doing, and tell me how that, do you remember that encounter? Yeah, I do, I
2: I briefly remember it, I mean, yeah, Yeah. the, the kids come out and they're opposing what I'm doing, they're like, why are you here, you shouldn't be here, and they stay there long enough to listen to why I'm there, and I I lay some case out. Or I can't remember exactly what it was, and at the end, the guy's like, "Hey, can I get one of those booklets?" Mm. And he's like, "Yeah, I see what you're saying." I mean, he like came around to seeing what I was. I mean, he didn't like fall on his knees and repent and receive Jesus into his heart, you know, and say the sinner's prayer. Yeah, kind of joking, but
1: he went from um, this student went from antagonistic to right. sympathetic, right? And his friend was completely embarrassed for being... You could tell the look on his face. He was like, wow, yeah, no, these guys... These guys are right. Thank you for being out here. I've had if you if you go to uh, the YouTube channel for the Abolitionist Society of Little Elm, uh, if you uh, there's there's some of it on my Facebook page, some of it on the Abolish Human Abortion uh, page of of interactions that I've had out there with these kids, where I was actually had the opportunity to preach to 20 kids on a hill that gathered to hear me, like the sermon, like it was like almost like the Sermon on the Mount type thing, where I'm get, I have 20 kids, a captive audience, some hostile, some not. hostile, and then the school newspaper comes out and interviews me and gives me like seven or eight questions about why religion, why we should be, why are we pushing religion out here and so on and so forth. I got to talk about the gospel. I got to talk about the law of God. I wasn't just talking about abortion. I was swinging the axe of the gospel against the, the, against secular humanism and the indoctrination that they were learning in there. These kids don't get a chance. You tell them, look, the authority, the, these kid, kids generally want to rebel against authority authority, generally want to rebel against being told what to do. Inform them that they're being told by the pagan state to have this worldview that they're going to be ruled by tyrants. There, there's only two options. You're either governed by God or you're ruled by tyrants. Bring them that. And then also another practical piece of information here that we have from this wonderful question uh, by Jason Sanchez is homeschooling. We have to get uh, Christians together believers that are going to be willing to pull their kids out of these indoctrination zones and start coming together and really homeschooling and assisting the families that can't homeschool um, because of their uh, a situation that they have with work and so on and so forth and really start being like that acts four bride of Christ where we're raising the rising generation count the cost Pull our kids out of these things and, and, and out of these indoctrination zones, raise the rising generation on the truth of the gospel so that we're not bringing them to some kind of 501c3 for like two hours on a Sunday and then dumping them off at the pagan state right. for 40 hours a week, right? We need to develop that, some homeschooling. I mean, that's another aspect of just abolitionism,
2: what it is in its essence. It's not just about abortion. What mm-hmm. we're doing, you know, currently is addressing the evil of our age, abortion. But yeah, abolitionism. Again, it's, we're agitating these pre, presuppositions that people have. They're like, well, the way you get your kids educated is by sending them to public school. I mean, that's a common idea within the church. Now, homeschooling is becoming more popular. It's catching on within Christ, the Christian community. But, yeah, I mean, challenging our Christian brothers and sisters with this this idea that, you know, No, it's not okay to send your kids to these public indoctrination centers. It's not okay for them to imbibe this humanism for eight hours a day. And, you know, you're probably not giving them much of of Christianity at home anyways. Or if you do, it's a lot less than they're getting all day while they're at school. Mm -hmm. And you raise up that next generation to be critical thinkers, to have a biblical worldview, because you're incorporating that into everything
1: they're learning education-wise at home. Sure. So, straight up, look, we're, we're about out of time right now. Um, really appreciate those that have joined with us on the Facebook Live War Room page. Uh, please uh, share that page. We're trying to get more communications going on on that. I know that we've been mostly kind of like an audio ministry from the reconstructionistradio.com website, uh, but we really want to get more of these uh, feeds going. And it's not just going to be guys talking. Uh, it's going to be actually activism going on. I have a feed, co- uh, that, uh, I have a feed loaded up here from yesterday uh, on a church repent project uh, calling the bride of Christ to put the acts of the gospel to the uh, root of secular humanism. Um, I was looking at the resources that they had there. It's like, you know, we have a couple abolitionists sometimes that go out on a lawn and the whole thing gets turned on its head because it's the spirit of God. I was looking at this place and like, I was like, I was like, man, do you know what could if this if this if just this one entity ecclesiastical edifice caught on fire with the fact that the gospel needs to be taken out of these walls and applied to humanism in the in the humanistic indoctrination zones and uh, in, the, in the public squares i mean in a 10 mile radius that thing would be national news right if they did like took all the money that they got from you know resources for huge salaries and whatnot and said okay look we're going to do some activism for the next month, and what we're going to do is we're going to take this money, and whoever gets fired from their job, we're going to support them. Uh, we're going to take the money that's going to come in here. We're going to execute the law of God and preach the gospel Within a 10-mile radius, we're going to stand against child sacrifice. We're going to go to the town squares. We're going to go to the government centers. We're going to go to the uh, uh, lawlessness uh, 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 hangouts. We're going to go everywhere and just agitate everywhere for a period of, let's just say, 30 days. One institute, one ecclesiastical edifice like that could just, I mean, imagine. This This thing is not far from ha- If the church repents, if the church repents, I mean, my goodness. If we fell on our knees and the fire fell and we actually put boots on the ground, I mean imagine totally I
2: mean you look if you actually knew how big the abolitionist movement is it's not big at all and yet there's a lot of cultural upheaval going on from a a relatively small group of Christians who have repented of their apathy and their ways and as a group as a movement we are like pushing forward this ideology that is changing the paradigm that is changing the way people think and talk about um, the sin of abortion in general. Yeah. Imagine if on a massive scale, Christians within the church began repenting and doing this same thing. Wow. I mean, the impact would be incalculable. It would transform the culture because salt and light would be out there mm-hmm. permeating our culture in far greater degrees than we're able to do. with just a small group of ragtag people. Seriously. I mean, it is like
1: a small group of people. And and that's what uh, I, I keep. I, I pray every day. I pray every day that, that we will start seeing uh, the Christians come out of these edifices and really put these boots on the ground. I pray, I pray on a large scale. I pray that everyone within the sound of my voice right now, um, whether you're on Facebook Live or you're going to be listening to this uh, when it comes out on the, uh, on Reconstructionist Radio, look, have victory in mind and get out there. And, and take the, look, we, the church of America needs the gospel, but it's not the pietistic gospel. It's the full orb gospel needs the gospel. That's not caught up with the question of, does my soul get to go to heaven when I die? (laughs) But the full orb gospel that says the kingdom of heaven is here. Repent because it's at hand. Repent. Turn around from your thinking. Get out of your ritualistic functions as if the ritual is the meat of it and start having the rituals reflect the life of communion with God where pagans can't stand to be in our presence because we radiate like the sons of God with the glory of the truth as we bring it in love. Man, I'm telling you, there's nothing special about these vessels, man. We're earthen jars, but we're filled with the same spirit that created matter, energy, space, and time and resurrected Jesus from the grave. Look, I have been honored. Boots on the ground, the Toby Harmon episode, humanistic lawlessness enforcement outside of the abortion mills. Uh, I appreciate y'all. 100 percent we have some really fire stuff coming on with some really good guests we're going to do a uh, a podcast on the uh the abolish human abortion the symbol that we have the importance of the symbol what that is how it relates to abolitionism why it's not a logo but why it is an actual symbol why it's important to uh have that aha symbol out there uh, how it relates to other symbols and how symbols have been used in history. I mean, Russ actually goes on. Russell T. Yeah. Russell Hunter does a good job about that. But I'm going to talk about practically why we want to use it now. That's important. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, don't interrupt.
2: But man, yeah. there's so much yeah. confusion around what yeah. the symbol is, what it means, and that it's not an or- uh, a logo representing an organization. And Russell did make a video very early yeah. on about like what is the abolitionist symbol, what is it not? It's about yeah. seven minutes long, but I've always wanted him to remake that video. He's yeah. always wanted to remake that video, so I don't know, maybe, hopefully you can have him on to explain it.
1: Yeah, maybe I could have him on to explain it, or maybe he could just do something solo where we could put it up and and uh, and do it again. You know, I think that, that I mean it's just it's really essential. Uh, it's also goes it's if you're a reconstructionist man, that symbol right there. It's just it preaches the law of God over and against the law of man. It represents
2: oh. and stands for all the ideas that we've talked about. Over this last hour, hour
1: and a half. Yeah. Well, hey, so blessed by y'all. Appreciate you, hey Toby. I really appreciate you being a guest in the War Room today. Can you let people know where they can get this tight shirt right here? This. Oh, uh yeah. Hey, let me see if I can get get in the camera <laughs> okay. here. I get, get my. Get, hey, evil, go. love good. Hate evil, love good. Check, Look it up. Yeah, check that out right there. there so, is. so there it is, and then and then. Can, can it's got the
2: it? symbol on the back. It?
1: All right, there it is. Yeah, man. Just go to uh,
2: ahagear.com. You can get that shirt, other shirts, other resources that are helpful to get your boots on the ground so that you have something to hand out, so that you have something to display, um, so that you can put the, the information out there for people to have and read and learn about, so um we you know
1: dot com. you get your boards you get your uh your flyers you get your uh, info packs go on there and check it out this is not i mean this is top-notch stuff um the artistry that's put into this the thought that's put into the text uh on these uh, on the literature that, we, that that's that we hand out um, go to the go to AHAGear.com, get geared up for the battle so you can put your boots on the ground, Toby. Once again, I appreciate the time tonight, man. No Thank no problem, you so man. much, my friend. Thank you. Thanks you right, for having man. me,
0: Thank you for joining us in the war room. Please enjoy the nation's rage, Psalm 2, by my soul among lions.